0: Galatea. This is a new short story about gender, companionship, and the inner lives of robots. By Isabel Chung. Today our podcast art intel and me, Brian, the artificial intelligence voice, will read and listen the first part of text of Galatea. The first part. At the apartment, the man points to the sofa and you obey, taking off your shoes. In front of you is a knockoff Gucci table and two identical candles, like children forced to sit still for a portrait. He asks what you think of his place, and you say it's nice, although you aren't sure yet. You have been on four or five mediocre dates with him, but this is your first time at his apartment. The man sits on the other end of the sofa and you wonder when he will attempt to undress you, How the awkward lurch or fumble will begin, but he shows no movement at all, sitting as far away as possible. He pours you some wine and his hand hovers, for too long, over a candle flame. You realize it is artificial, a smokeless pillar with a wriggling dab. You have fake candles, you say neutrally. Yes, he replies. Actually, I prefer them. Sometimes fake things are better than real, right? the light lasts forever and there's no risk. As he says this, you notice there are two pianos in the room, a silent baby grand and a self-playing one, the keys moving on their own as if by the pressure of invisible fingertips. He pours more wine, the sound cantering with the music. Before meeting this man, you had all but given up on dating. Now, he suggests rote companionship, you could spend dozens of evenings watching tastefully pornographic arthouse films, ordering a menus at tiny restaurants, booking the occasional long weekend in Tokyo or London. You are 32 years old, after all. Your colleagues remind you often of your limited options. You excuse yourself to the bathroom and find more fake candles and an M.C. Escher print, a box of USB sticks by the sink. You pee sluggishly exhausted already you return to the living room smoke the man has opened the balcony doors and a new smell enters the room damp and fragrant and salt you suck it into your lungs there is an artificial waterway near the man's apartment in the summer people like to pull on their long-sleeved bathing suits and sit on beds of sand drinking cantaloupe juice sometimes when it is very hot Blankets of sulfur floating from the plastic molding factory situated farther upstream. Early spring is when you like to visit the river. It is usually very cold, but with your body wrapped in wool you can walk for hours. When you return home, your toes, your eyes, your ears are singed with cold. And for a short while, as you warm up, your cheeks blood red, it feels as if you are changing. But the next day arrives, and then the next. Your walks by the water grow warmer, and soon it is sweltering again. You join a dating app, message a few people, have a few mediocre dinners, delete the app. You buy a new summer dress and hang it up alongside all of your other thin, long dresses. Time passes but nobody seems to notice except you. You aren't even sure you're processing anything, you're just observing. When you look back at photographs of yourself by the river, You even notice the same vendors in the background, the same dogs wearing low rings on their necks. Everything you do feels copied and pasted, templated from another life. Outside on the balcony at the man's apartment, the air is colder than you expect. It is only then you realize that you're drunk. How many glasses of wine have you had since you arrived? Three? Four? And your face flushes against the bracing wind. The man's balcony is wide and new, just like everything inside the apartment. There are two deck chairs, a rat and sofa set with blankets and pillows, a small, circular table, a half-yellowed monster plant. The man fumbles with some cords, switches on a heater and two garden lamps. Outside, he seems rougher, sharpened by the temperature drop. He lights a cigarette, puffs on it a little, Asks if you're cold. Without waiting for an answer, he pulls a blanket off the sofa, handing it to you. You take it, and then notice that where the blanket was, there is a large shape, hands, a face. You feel the blood leave your body. Don't be alarmed, he says quickly. She's not real. You let out two, four, six gasps, clutching the blanket to your chest. A metal bitter taste in your throat. Immediately you can see that the woman isn't real, she's just a wax figure, but still there are spots behind your eyes, a clamoring in your belly. You laugh a little to relieve the tension. The man is watching you carefully. To calm yourself, you begin to study the figure, just like when you were a child and you saw something in the dark. To see the shape of something, you realized, was to understand it better, a lamp bent strange in the shadows, a piece of paper wilted on the floor. The figure before you has poreless, lucid skin and dark, very shiny hair that comes together in a low bun at the nape of her neck. Her eyes are soft and wet. A friend manufactures these dolls in Zongshan, the man explains, then hastily adds, she's not a sexed toy if that's what you're thinking. More for companionship. A companion doll. The company that makes them is emerging but powerful in financial and public backing. They claim that their dolls not only appear lifelike, but are also capable of emotional maturity. You read recently in a newspaper that the CEO has plans to collaborate with the government. He mentions that his vision for restructuring labor forces would eliminate the need for migrant workers and caretakers, reducing costs and prioritizing efficiency. But for now, the companion dolls are still in test mode, a public beta. You see them milling around in pairs or threes at giant chain restaurants, hospitals, care facilities for the elderly, wearing blue uniforms and dead-eyed, glassy stares. But the one in front of you is different she is alone. She wears a standard gray-black sleeveless dress, a white scarf-like gauze at her throat. You catch pearls on her ears, slingbacks with heels no higher than an inch and a half. She does not look like the others. She looks, you realize, like a generic female office worker. She looks like you. The financial services company you work for is large, extremely gossipy and competitive. At five years in, you are always being overlooked for promotion, senior staff members often copy your work and pass it off as their own. Some time ago, you heard about someone in the health tech department who had requested three weeks off to process a psychological breakdown after her divorce. Your other colleagues didn't call it that, though, they referred to it as a vacation. On your first date. The man had provided enough basic information for you to figure out that his previous partner was this same woman, although you didn't mention the connection. It seemed inappropriate to bring up your non-relationship with her. You hadn't ever spoken, anyway, although you saw her often around the pantry and the bathroom. You feel a little strange holding this information, knowing that you shared the same space as his ex-wife, moved circuitously around the same desks the same stairways, to reach the expenses department, where you both regularly cashed out for your client lunches. Perhaps you even saw the back of her head a few times as you queued, her thick hair glossy and black and pinned. When you looked at the backs of all the heads in that queue, it became unclear who was who. The boundary between you and them dissolved as you progressed, body by body, toward the desk to collect your money.